you've never heard me preach before, uh, my name is Dave, I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption in Tucson, and just a heads up, uh, again, if you're new, you've never heard me, um, I have a speech impediment, and it'll kind of come in and out as we go, so I just want to make sure that you guys uh, know what that is, it's not these freezing 70 degree temperatures we've had, um, but, uh, but, but um, that, that's all it is, so we got a ton to cover this morning, I'll just acknowledge we um, we tend to just pack a lot all into one time, right? We've got this massive section of scripture to uh, cover this morning, and there's a lot of really good things going on as Tang and Emily and David kind of walk us through um, just some great, great things we got going on. From again, tapestry tables, I want to really highlight and encourage uh, that, as well as again the uh, lunch. Uh, for to hear more about our partnership with Guatemala. Um, as as uh, Kane said, we're gospel-centered and outward focused, and um, uh, just a bunch of things happen all at the same time. I happen to go to one of our other outward focused ministry partnerships last night, um, Corazon Ministries. I got to go to it to hear more about that, and they kind of came, came to grow our partnership there. And then this coming Thursday, my wife and I and a couple of others were going to um, Hands of Hope, uh, another big ministry that we partner with here in town. So some really good things going on, and uh, we don't expect everyone to go to all of it, okay? But just whatever God would lead you to, to go to, to hear more about partnering with, um, go to those things. Amen? Amen. I grew, grew up in a more charismatic church, so I'm going to call for some amens and expect you to respond. Um, that's how it goes. So, um, so amen means yes, I agree. I'm, I'm tracking with you. So um, as we get into it this morning, go ahead and turn with me to Acts chapter 25 and 26. Um, that's where we'll be this morning. If you don't have a Bible with you, would you hold your hand up high and keep it up so uh, we know that we all have one that we can, again, read and follow along with as we walk through some heavy things together. And if you don't own a Bible, you do now. Okay, this is our gift to you. Keep it, write your name in it, underline stuff. Uh, we want everyone to have a copy of God's Word. Y en español, si quieres la Biblia y no tienes, um, por favor, le, le mando su mano y diga español. Y si no tienes una Biblia, eso es un regalo uh, a usted y nosotros. Y esta mañana estamos en Hechos capítulo 25 y 26. Um, and I don't just, not just doing this this week, it's so offering, right? We want to make sure that um, everyone can have a copy of God's Word and read and track and follow along with. So, as we get there, let me just kind of set the stage for where we are this morning. If we continue to kind of land a plane of where we've been throughout Acts, we've got three more weeks in Acts, including this week. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then we're going to be in Proverbs for a couple months, and we'll get into the Advent season, and then we've got something else we're excited to go through the majority of next year um, that we'll uh, keep you informed of as, 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 as uh, time goes on. So, Acts, the big idea, okay? If you're new, you come, you have to, wherever you're at in this, we've been walking through for the whole year, and we believe that God shapes us and grows us and transforms us as we submit ourselves to His Word. And so the best way to consistently do that is to walk through whole books. And so that's what we've been doing in Acts. And the big idea is this. It's the works of God. Okay, that word Acts means works. And it's the works of God on display in and through His people who are formed and informed and compelled to live all of life 
in response to and out of a relationship with Jesus, whom God the Father sent to live a perfect life, to usher in the very kingdom of God, and then to die on the cross, and then to victoriously raise from the dead, so that through that event, the, the Christ event, as it's been historically called, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, through faith in Him, a people might be formed, not just as a bunch of individuals, but a people, the church. That's what the word church means, the people of God would now live out His very works through the Holy Spirit that He has sent, that we would live all of life reflecting the very nature of God and carrying out His mission, His works, in all of life. Until Jesus, who ascended, as we saw in Acts chapter 1, like months ago, okay, Jesus who ascended promised that He would one day return. And that right now, right this moment, He's currently presently ruling from His throne. And that He would return and make all things new. And usher in His kingdom once and for all. Okay, so that's the good news that we've seen on display throughout Acts. So what we see this morning in this, in this uh, chapter and a half that we're going to dive into is that the gospel, and that means the good news of Jesus, that the gospel humbles God's people and, and fulfills all the promises of God. And then also uh, calls for total or complete surrender to God. Okay, so again, the good news, the gospel of Jesus humbles God's people, fulfills God's promises, and calls for total surrender. And as we walk through, just so you can, if you're taking notes or, you know, however, just so you can see, what we'll see is kind of three, in, in those three parts broken down, it's kind of a, 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 a this or that, or like a little, uh, uh, like a juxtaposition, or two things for and kind of coming up against one another, and it's humility versus pride. And then it's facts. The fact of God's promises being fulfilled. Fact versus fiction. And then surrender. Surrender to God versus intrigue or interest. Okay, so that's where we're at this morning. Let me pray for us as we continue to, to uh, walk through this time together. Again, Father, we, even now we settle in. We know there's a lot going on, not just in our church, as we heard about this morning. Good things, very good things, but... In all of our lives, individually, in our world, in our, in our country, Lord, whether it's terrible, tragic, natural disasters, whether it's terrible, tragic brokenness on a human level, relationally, through entire people groups, Lord, on a, on a, on a political level, on a cultural level, again, on a family level, wherever it might be, we're very aware this morning that things are not the way they're supposed to be. So we come together before you, trusting that your good news, the gospel, would inform our lives, our relationships, and even our own hearts. So Lord, we pray and ask that you would, you would speak to us and shape us, and that you would lead us to a place, as we'll see here, of surrendering fully to you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Alright, so let me set the stage for where we're going to be this, this morning. Okay, so in verse 13, we get introduced to a few characters, kind of verses, uh, chapter 25, verse 13 through 22. We're going to pick up in verse 22, but first we just get kind of introduced to these characters. Okay, so first I'll introduce you to Paul, okay, the Apostle Paul, and, and, and what we'll see is him giving a defense for his faith. He's kind of standing on... on 
trial, if you will, and he's giving a testimony for why he is the way he is, why he says the stuff he says, why he lives the way he lives, and he's now in prison under Roman custody. And so his first character that we'll see is this guy, if you heard um, Peggy talk about this, Roman governor named Festus, his wife's name. Uh, uh, actually, this is not his wife, then Agrippa, and then uh, his wife's name is Bernice. I just, I, I kind of poke fun, but I love these names, right? Festus, Agrippa, Bernice. Some of you are pregnant looking for names for your kids. There's a few examples. You weren't um, Agrippa, because we're Agrippa what? No, I'm not. <laughs> um, but I need to skip the script here this morning. We've got a ton to cover in a short time. So, okay, help me out. Stop distracting me. So, you've got Festus and Agrippa, okay? So, Festus is a Roman governor. Agrippa is a king. Kind of a puppet king, if you will. So, think in our day, think modern day, like in you know, England, you've got, you've got the prime minister, right? That would be more like Festus. And then you've got, you know, Prince William and Kate, or if you're older, you know, you remember Charles and the... Diana or, you know, whoever it might be in these, in, in these different kind of relationships and interplay. And, and, and the big idea here for us to understand is that there's a ton of background in terms of kind of jockey or political positioning, trying to assert oneself and trying to use one's position. So both Festus under the authority of Rome and Agrippa, who's also under the authority of Rome, but have these 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 local Jewish people that he can use for his own, you know, influence and stuff. They're both looking to get prized. They're both looking to climb up and get more power and more influence. And then here you've got Paul standing right now again on trial in this place while all this political posturing is going on. And then we see this kind of interplay. And they both say, well, let's call Paul before us. Some historians think in order for both to try to extort him, to, to, to try to get a bribe out of him, and, and then also his accusers, these ultra-religious people, also trying to get some, you know, bribes from from Paul. So this is what's happening. So he's on trial. There's the scene set before him. So picking up in verse 22, Agrippa said to Festus, "I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, he said, you will hear him." And then now picking up in verse. 23. So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp, and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in, and Festus said, King Agrippa, and all who are sent with us, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petition me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not to live in longer. So this whole scene here is going on, right? So, so, so King Agrippa and Bernice come rolling in. I love that word with great pomp. Okay, that's the kind of pride we're talking about. Okay, if we're talking about humility versus pride, it's not just kind of an inward arrogance or pride like this. It's, 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 it's your identity, your entire posture. It's how you relate with other people, how you view yourself. And that word there is used of pomp. Right? You just picture this scene. It's uh, one, one common communicator trying to help it connect. Use the, the imagery of a peacock. Says Agrippa and Bernice are peacocking, kind of walking in, right, like feathers, you know, 
out behind them, these bright colors. You know, in um, our day, right, you might picture like, you know, like not just showing up in a limousine, but like like a stretch escalate with like spin in it. You know, like trying to make a statement. Or something else that kind of came to mind is, you know, in the in the Hunger Games, right? When you think of the like, so I hear. I know nothing about that personally, but you know, so I hear, right? You've got you've got like in the you know the, the capital, all these just crazy, ostentatious, you know, you know, image, makeup, hair, you know, you've got Katniss cruising in, right, and her, you know, her her outfit. Kenny's on fire, right? This girl's on fire, start playing in the background. Again, I'm not talking about that person, but so I hear that's what, but this this idea of like making a statement, right? I'm here, everyone, look at me, this is who I am, my identity, my purpose, who I am, how I function, I'm, I'm putting that on display, right? And this is very much our kind of root of American, American costume. As I've gone to travel and go to different places, I'm more and more aware of just this is kind of how we function. Now, I know some of our demographic here this morning, like, you know, hipsters don't really call themselves hipsters. I'm sure there's a new underground name that I don't know about yet. Once it becomes known, then it'll no longer be, you know, appropriate. But, um, you know, think, oh, I'm a minimalist. I just kind of, you know, I don't that's not me. I, I just wear really simple clothes. I have, you know, really, really skinny tight jeans with rips in them. You know, to that, you know, so I just show up on a fixed gear bike. I'm a really, I'm a minimalist. And it's, but it's the idea here is a heart, a heart posture. Okay, whether it's flashy escalades with spinners or like, you know, a hydro flask covered up with stickers so the label doesn't. <laughs> You know, saying anything and drinking a single origin coffee and riding a particular bike and wearing a particular whatever it is, it's, it's, it's saying this is who I am and how I carry myself. Uh, and I, I want to make a statement and I want you to see the way I want you to see me and I'm going to use whatever I can to inform that, to assure that. Okay, so that's this scene here. And yet, Pitted up against that, you see Paul in custody, kind of shuffling in, if you will, in chains, carried. Someone else is leading him. And he's just embodying humility. And now when we hear that, right, we, we tend to think, oh, like, sheepish, quiet, you know, whatever. But as we see, no, he's bold. He shares his faith. He gives a declaration of who God is, of the character and the power of God. And yet, he, he does it humbly. Okay, the gospel, again, the good news of Jesus, it calls for humility. That when people see God rightly and respond to him, it means we also see ourselves rightly. And it means only through the gospel, only through relationship to Jesus, only through surrender to Jesus, can we live in such a way where there's humility, and boldness. It's where Paul in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he we see this kind of on display when he says, And I, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
And then he goes on and says, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much humility. And my message and my speech were not with persuasive words of wisdom, again, not posturing, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Okay, so that's what we see on display here. As we continue to walk through Acts, as we continue to see, okay, hear me, look at me, because I know many of us here can hear Christianity, put your faith in Jesus, and then we wonder, okay, what does that really look like? And what we've gotten to see throughout, throughout Acts is not just the gospel proclaimed, though that has been the case, but also demonstrated. So we can see what does it look like to put your faith in Jesus. It looks like carrying yourself not in a false humility, not in, oh, no, don't, don't, you know, stop, but, you know, look, you know, give me. Like, you see a real informed humility of saying, I have nothing to prove and nobody to impress. But I stand so firmly on the good news of Jesus that my identity, my purpose, my message, the words I say, how I carry myself are fully informed by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And, 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 in, and in Agrippa, in Festus, in Bernice, you see the exact opposite. You see everything to prove and everybody to impress. And so you see your humility versus pride. And again, the gospel wins out. You see that Paul has a steadfastness and assurance. When apart from Christ, you see kind of chaos. You see these people trying to bribe, trying to prove themselves, trying to outdo one another, trying to, right? And again, we can look at them and say, oh, you're so silly, right? You, you do all that. You show up with, you know, tribunes and like a peacock. But again, on a heart level, are we not aware of ways we show up and try to prove ourselves and try to impress others and try to carry ourselves in such a way that it's, it's empty and, and we'll never return what we're trying to get out of it. And yet the gospel fully provides all of this. And then continuing on to see the gospel on display here, we see now fact versus fiction. We see the promises of God fulfilled, the facts of God that inform and shape how Paul carries himself. Okay? Um, so pick up with me in chapter 26 now, verse 1. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. And he said, I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King of Europe, I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. You see Paul's heart there. Right? We're going to see here if we can... And you go all kinds of opportunity that maybe as we look through it, we think, man, Paul, you almost got out of jail. You could have, you could have, but you said that one thing. You couldn't just let that go. You almost got set free. But we see his heart here, which is reflective of God's heart, is that all would be able to hear and respond to the good news of Jesus. And that's where, that's the entire, as Paul carries himself, you see, he's so convinced, he's so convicted of the fact of Jesus crucified and risen from the dead, 
That that shapes everything about how everything that he says, everything, every way that he interacts with other people, that's all he's all about. And, 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 he's, and, he's, and he's encouraged to, to kind of give, you know, concessions or to change that, but he never does. He's unwavering in that. And so we um, pick up with him here in verse 6 now. And so after Paul begins to give a defense of his faith, he says this, And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our twelve, our twelve tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship nine days. And for this hope I am accused by Jews, O King. When he goes on, why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? Okay, what he's saying here is he's saying, listen, I stand here before you. I'm on trial. I'm in chains right now. Hear me. Because I take God at his word. Because I believe that God is a God of his word and that God fulfills his promises. Okay, like, let that sit in here for a moment because he's talking to religious people right now, okay? Like, we need to hear, some of us here in our day, we need to recognize where would we fall in this conversation, right? It's easy for Philly, I would be Paul, right? That's where I fall. But, 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 but what he's talking to people who, who know the scriptures, okay? They know the Old Testament. They know these things. They would check the box and say religious, right? I, you know, they would check. Maybe like some of us, oh, I would check. I, I'm a Christian. I, I do. Yeah, this is where I fit. But Paul's saying, listen, I'm standing here right now, accused before you, because I believe that God is a God of his word, that God has made promises from the very beginning, and he's brought those to fruition. Those promises have come true. And they've come true in the life, death, and resurrection, and the ministry of Jesus. And all throughout here, where Paul has gotten, has gotten accused and has gotten pushed back, is for believing, A, that Jesus rose from the dead. And then B, that his mission is to include all people under him. That his plan has been to have not just one little sect, but they, they, they all, all different languages, ethnicities, uh, nations, people groups, socioeconomic backgrounds, that all people would come and would be formed as his people in response to his good news. And every time, all throughout Acts, whenever Paul gets challenged and pushed back, it's because of one of those things. It's because either he says, Jesus rose from the dead, and he is currently ruling, and that defines how we live. So I've got some things to say about that. And then people stop saying, whoa, whoa, Paul, raised from the dead? Jesus, really? God raised him from the dead? And that changes things? And Paul says, yeah, that, that's it. That's all I can stand on. I've seen him. I've witnessed him. I've responded to him in faith. Or when Paul starts to talk about racial divisions being broken down by the gospel. Come on, somebody. Amen. That Jesus risen from the dead would actually be calling a group of people that poor and, and rich, right and left, uh, people from different backgrounds would all be shaped by Jesus' death and resurrection, and that strikes a chord with them. But big surprise, huh? Yeah, we've, 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 we've gotten so far. Let me just say for a moment, because I actually was going to say this last week, but I got so 
caught up in where we were. I did it. I was going to say, we, we tend, as we read stuff like this, right, we like to think, oh, good thing that was back then. That was, you know, first century. That was over 2,000 years ago. I'm so glad we're so much more woke, you know, today. We're so much more informed, right? We did it today. And then brokenness happens, right? Charlottesville happens. Right? These major divisions happen. We say, oh, I can't believe this is still happening. And when we say that, what we're saying is, I thought time would cure sinful hearts. Rather than acknowledging, no, the only cure, the only humility that comes, the only real love of God and love of neighbor comes through the reconciling ministry of Jesus. Crucified and risen from the dead. Amen? Amen. So may we be humble enough to recognize that our only hope for true reconciliation is founded on the fact of Jesus risen from the dead. And that's where Paul continues to go here. He's, he's standing and he's even sharing his own conversion now in verse 12 and then going on here in this whole next section. He shares his own faith. He says, listen, I met Jesus. He's like, nothing, he's a one-trick pony, okay? If you put your trust in Jesus, you can be too. All right? We, I know sometimes we feel overwhelmed. How do I How do I engage this subject right now? How do I speak into that? I don't know. There's this, and you can simply say at the end of the day, listen, I have met Jesus. He, he died on the cross. He reconciled me to my creator. And through that work, he's reconciling me to myself and to others. I've given my life to Him. I've surrendered to Him. He's risen from the dead, and now He speaks into who I am. And so that's why I see the world the way I do. And that's all Paul comes back to. He's like, listen. And he just goes on and he shares his story. He just goes on and says, like, picking up in verse 22 of chapter 26. He says, to this day I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and to great. Saying that nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. He's saying, listen, Jesus raised from the dead. This has been God's plan from the very beginning. The prophets, Moses, all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Alright, he's saying God's plans from very old to the very beginning are coming to fruition now. This is nothing new. This seemingly new, crazy, radical Christianity. This isn't something new. This has been God's plan all along. And again, God's made promises. And God's a God of His Word. And so these promises have been fulfilled in and through the person and work of Jesus. And Paul's saying, here I like Martin Luther famously said, here I stand. I can do no other. So help me God. And look, look at the response he gets, right? In verse 24. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, again, posturing, right? Showing, with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. Paul, what are you talking about? You're crazy. And Paul says very calmly, very rationally, no, 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 most excellent Festus. You know, honoring him. I'm not out of my mind. I've seen Jesus risen from the dead. 
I can do no other than to simply share with you what I have seen to be true. And, and, and Festus um, continues on, and kind of there's this like mockery, and then Agrippa interacts here. But can you hear me for a moment? First Corinthians chapter 15 tells us so clearly. If you're taking notes, you're going anywhere else. That this is foolishness. What we're doing right now, okay, Christianity is it's silly. It's foolish. If Jesus didn't really raise from the dead. And standing here and raising our hands, right? Some of you might think that's weird anyway. That's fine. Right? We've got right? everyone comes here together. We, I've got good friends that even are like, what? I don't, this is not me. I'm not into that, right? Um, and what that means is I surrender, I worship, I give, right? Which is just crazy, right? Yeah, go to the U of A football game. Maybe not football game. There's not many hands raised there. Basketball game. You know, you see, sorry. Hey, I'm diehard. Hey, I am a diehard. But I can still uh, embrace truth. But we think it's silly, it's crazy to be standing in here. And um, again, I tried to rip down vocals when I was a student here. Okay? So again, I know I'm going to accuse you of not being a real fan. Um, but, but we think this crazy to worship Jesus, but then we go and raise our hands and yell and paint our faces or our chests or whatever it is, and, and you know, celebrate these other things. But that's what it is. Okay, don't don't. Okay, come back, listen. Jesus really rose from the dead and is currently ruling and reigning from his throne, seated next to the right hand of God the Father. If the, amen. If that is true, and it is, then, then giving our lives to him, worshiping him, trusting in his promises, having all of life informed by that makes perfect sense. Amen. And yet, if not, then it's foolish. It's silly. And I agree. Paul agrees in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, we above, we above all people should be pitied. We should be laughed at. We should be mocked. These silly people. What are you doing? You know, raising your hands, giving money to, you know, and to this God that, you know, is kind of this hypothetical, out there idea. But if Jesus really rose from the dead, <laughs> And he has. Then he gets to speak into everything. Who we are. How we view ourselves. How we see ourselves. How we relate with others. Our, our sexuality. Our hobbies. How we spend our money. How we, how we perform at work. How we engage in the classroom. How we treat our neighbors. How we take care of our yards. Right? Every square inch of human existence is informed by this Jesus who rose from the dead. Amen. That's what Paul is, is standing on. That's his conviction here. He says, yeah, listen, you know, I can do no other than to simply share these truths. I'm so convinced of it. Because this fact of Jesus risen from the dead, the fulfillment, hear me, the fulfillment of God's promises informs everything. And that now leads into the, the, uh, the last point as Paul interacts with um, King Agrippa. And, and, and he longs for Agrippa. Remember, he longs for him to put his faith in Jesus. So that's why he's sharing the things he is. That's why he's sharing the, the, the way he is. That's why he's not concerned with trying to get out of jail, you know, just get out of jail free and pass go and collect your $100 and go on your way. Right? That's why Paul's like, no, I want everyone to hear the good news of Jesus and be shaped by Him. And 
so he's talking to Agrippa now, and now we see the difference of surrender versus mere intrigue. As Agrippa, tragically, in verse 28 says, And Agrippa said to Paul, In a short time would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, Whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day, might become such as I am. Except for these chains. <laughs> kind of sense of humor, you know, wink, wink, like, yeah, you know, these chains are sort of tight, this isn't very comfortable, so yeah, I wouldn't wish this on you, but. But he, he longs for people to hear and respond, hear me, rightly, to the good news of Jesus. And there's a tragedy in Agrippa's response. Some people think, oh, really cool, Agrippa is sympathetic to the gospel. He's hearing, he's like, hey, you almost convinced me. But there's a tragedy in almost. And I know this this hits home for a lot of us here today. This might even be uncomfortable, and and, and I'm okay with that. Because I, I love you, I care about you. Because again, if Jesus really rose from the dead, then almost isn't good enough. This one um, scholar and pastor, A.W. Tozer, actually preaching on this very same text here, tells a story of an engineer, of a construction contractor who built a bridge. And he tells this story of this bridge that was beautifully constructed, it was sound, it was, it was, it was well done, it was a really difficult feat, and not many people wanted to attempt it, and he went over this massive Gorge and there was there was water and jagged rocks deep below and it was this really treacherous bridge built a long long time ago and this one person stepped up and he you know built this bridge and did all these things and then he goes on to and he got all these all these people you know celebrated him and all these things and then one day a family was driving along this bridge and there was a uh, a t- t- torrential downpour I think like a monsoon. Okay, for us, and you, and you couldn't see very clearly. And again, this is way back. Okay? This is before social media and all this stuff. You know, this is, you know, like news didn't travel as, as, as quickly as it might today. So shortly after this bridge had, 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 had uh, gotten open, this family's driving across, and, and, and there's a husband and a wife and three young children, and they're driving across this bridge that was almost finished. Just 20 feet shy. And this, and this contractor, right, didn't quite meet the deadline. He figured, oh, I can hurry up and get, get it finished in time before anyone knows. And all this stuff went on. And, this, and then he actually ended up being tried and convicted for um, negligence and ultimately manslaughter. Because this, this, this family trusted a bridge that they didn't realize was almost finished but wasn't completed. And then the, the father driving unknowingly thought he could trust this bridge to get him to the other side. And they, of course, didn't make it. And, and what a picture we have here of being, hear me, sympathetic to the gospel, intrigued by this good news of Jesus. Yeah, it makes some sense. It's cool. I like it. It helps me be a better person. It helps me be a better American. It helps me be a better man. It helps me, you know, everyone needs a bit of church. Right? Everyone needs a bit of Christianity. I would, I would check the box because it's the best option. But, man, 
fully surrendering to Jesus, letting how I live my life, how I spend my money, how I spend my time, how I relate with others, who I am at the very core, be surrendered to Jesus. I don't know, that's a little bit fanatical. That's a little, I don't know, I'm not quite, I don't know. Now, as I share this, can you hear me? I know, and I am so glad, there are people here today who are investigating Christianity. And I am so glad you're here. And I don't say this in any way to scare you away or to say, you know, oh, you know, to shame you or anything like that. Hey, this should be, I pray this is a safe place to investigate the gospel. Alright, but something we said from the very beginning is we're all going to be, we can all take comfort in knowing we're uncomfortable together. Okay, and what I, I can't withhold the discomfort of letting us continue on in this modern, shallow version of Christianity that, 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 that keeps us safe from going all in with Jesus. From saying, yeah, Jesus, I, I give my whole heart to you. I trust everything to you. I'm going to let you speak into the, into the dark corners of my heart, into the places of my life. I would love to keep off limits to you. Well, if that's, if that's not, that's a half-finished bridge. Or even a partially, almost-finished bridge. Anything short of total surrender to Jesus is incomplete. It's simply intrigue or interest. And again, you see Paul standing firmly convicted on the good news of Jesus, willing to say these really difficult things, willing to continue to stand firm in his faith because he's fully surrendered to Jesus. And again, you tragically see the opposite in Agrippa. And then just to kind of bring it home, Picking up with me in verse 30. It goes on. And then the king rose and the governor and Bernice and those who were sitting with him. Okay, so they've heard this stuff and they leave. And then it says, when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Okay, now I just know if you're like me, every time I have read that, I thought like, Shoot. You know, Paul, you opened your big mouth, you would have been set free. Like, you would have gotten out of jail, you would have been fine. And now, first of all, historically, the whole picture, that's just not true. Again, these people have shown nothing that their character was trustworthy, that they would have let Paul go free. In fact, earlier, when he was about to be set free, in the first place, why he said, I appeal to Caesar is because Felix was, um, this other governor, was about to take a bribe. And he was going to let Paul be ambushed and killed anyway. So that's why Paul said, I appeal to Caesar. But still, we get a glimpse. The author here, Luke, creatively puts that in there to again reveal to us our own, our own brokenness and how we would read this. That we feel sorry for Paul or we feel so frustrated that, oh man, if he didn't, uh, didn't um, you know, appeal to Caesar, he would have been set free. But again... Because Paul is so fully surrendered to the good news of Jesus, his goal is not to get out of jail. That's not his life end. That's not his mission. Remember back in chapter um, in chapter 20, verse 24. As we close, we look again at Paul's like life verse. 
Okay, let me challenge you again to consider what would life look like surrendered, fully surrendered, fully shaped by the gospel. This gospel that, that humbles God's people, that fulfills all of God's promises, and that calls for complete, total surrender. What does that look like? We see here, again, as Paul declared, I do not account my life of any value now as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. My life's aim is to be shaped by the gospel of Jesus. Is to live all of life all for Jesus. Is to be commissioned, to be sent, to proclaim with my mouth and to demonstrate with my life the good news of Jesus. Paul's not like, oh man, I'm trying to get out of jail. I'm trying to get the American dream. I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to sprinkle a bit of Jesus onto my life and then I'll be good. Then I'll be cool. He's like, no, my whole life is shaped by the gospel and he longs for everyone. As it says here, great and small. Rich and poor, Jew and Gentile, Roman official and Jewish king. To all come to a place of hearing and responding and surrendering to the good news of Jesus. Paul wants that because that's God's own. And again, hear me. God wants you and the diversity of this room to hear and respond and surrender to the good news of Jesus. Which humbles God's people. Which fulfills all of God's promises. And ultimately calls for complete and total surrender to Jesus. Now as we close in prayer, would every one of us, individually, and then would we as a people communally, surrender to Jesus? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you're good. Thank you that we can come before you. I don't know where everyone is coming from this morning, but uh, the Lord, we know that um, that you call us right now in this moment to surrender to you. So I pray and I trust that you would lead us as individuals, knowing every one of our stories, where we're all coming from, what we've done, what's been done to us, and Lord, also us as a people, communally, as your people. Or would you lead us to respond appropriately and surrender to the good news of Jesus?